This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On last week's show, we talked about uh, the Sacramento Delta and the threat of its uh, destruction at the hands of Southern California water interests. We uh, quoted from uh, Brett Baker's piece in the Sacramento Bee, as well as a profile on the Chronicle about Alex Hildebrand. We suggested we may want to bring one of those two gentlemen on the show, but we have actually a third option, which we exercised. In the wake of an excellent essay in the Sacramento News and Review titled Water Grab by Bert Wilson... We decided to speak with Mr. Wilson about uh, what he knows, and he knows quite a bit. Stay tuned for that in our second segment. We hope that this will mark uh, something we talked about uh, a month or two ago, uh, an era of increasing cooperation with our good friends over at the Sacramento News and Review. They're doing some fine, fine environmental work over there. Not all of which I agree with, by the way. But it's always food for thought, and we're going to be uh, doing more thinking and talking. Let us begin today's program, as we like to do, with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 26th of August. It was on August 26th and 55 B.C. that Roman forces under Julius Caesar invaded Britain. We have a fair amount of excellent reporting about Julius Caesar's campaigns, written by Caesar himself. Vini, Vidi, Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered. That's some pretty good writing. On this date in 1907, at an aquatic park in San Francisco, American magician Harry Houdini is placed underwater while attached to a 75-pound ball and chain. He escaped in 57 seconds. August 26, 1939 marked the first televised Major League Baseball game on station W2XBS. Red Barber announced the game between the Cincinnati Reds and Brooklyn Dodgers. It's interesting to note that just 11 years after that, he was joined in the broadcast booth by Vin Scully who's still there 62 years later. We also want to note in passing that it was this week, not exactly on this date, but on August 24th in 1990, that the forces of Saddam Hussein marched into Kuwait, which set the stage for Gulf War I. That whole thing was a hell of a con game under nincompoop President George Herbert Walker Bush. The U.S. did everything but roll out a red carpet on the Basra Highway into Kuwait for Saddam. Then after he uh, took the bait and invaded, oh my God, he was the worst thing since Hitler. Of course, after transporting all the forces we needed at great, great expense over to Kuwait and going into Iraq, Bush 41 ended the war after 100 hours, setting the stage, of course, for the much more profitable protracted uh, Gulf War II that uh, we're still enjoying seven years on. This date also marks my dad's birthday. Uh, Dad, wherever you are, thanks for everything. And our quote of the day and quip of the day are both going to come from the book, If Ignorance is Bliss, Why Aren't There More Happy People?, which I was unable to resist buying last time I went into a bookstore. The quote of the day I think I'm going to pick is from Jose Ortega y Gasset, who said, Tell me what you pay attention to, and I will tell you who you are. Which is probably shockingly true as related to uh, this program and its host. Our quip of the day, and I, I just love this one, comes from Hawaiian TV anchor Joe Moore, who said, 
It's practically impossible to look at a penguin and feel angry. And by God, I think he's right. Our joke of the day comes from Jolaine, who sent us a piece from the Manitoba Herald by Clive Runnels, which I have elected to edit somewhat. Dateline Manitoba. A flood of American liberals sneaking across the border into Canada intensified this past month, sparking calls for increased patrols to stop the illegal immigrations. Reportedly, the recent actions of the Tea Party movement have prompted an exodus of left-leaning citizens who fear they'll soon be required to hunt and fish, pray, sing the national anthem, and agree with Bill O'Reilly. Canadian border farmers say it's now quite common to see sociology professors, animal rights activists, and Unitarians crossing their fields at night, sometimes by the dozens. I went out to do my milking the other day and there was a Hollywood producer huddled in my cow barn, said Manitoma farmer Red Greenfield, whose acreage lies just a few miles from the North Dakota border. He asked me if I could spare some latte and some free-range chicken. When I said I didn't have any, he left before I even got the chance to show him my screenplay, eh? When the left-leaning are caught, they are simply sent back. Advocates for the liberals say they fear retribution once repatriated. Rumors have been circulating, they say, about plans to build re-education camps, where liberals anticipate they'll be forced to drink domestic beer, read books by Glenn Beck, and watch NASCAR. In recent days, they have turned to ingenious ways of crossing the border. Some disguise themselves as senior citizens taking bus trips to buy cheap Canadian prescription drugs. After catching a half-dozen young vegans wearing white wigs, immigration authorities have taken to stopping buses and quizzing seniors about Perry Como and Rosemary Clooney. Said one official, When they can't identify a single musician from the Lawrence Welk show, we get very suspicious about their age. Anyway, Jolaine, thanks for that. And if any of you out there would like to make a contribution, you can certainly do so by dropping us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Our stat of the day is that China now has 253 million citizens with internet access, compared to 223 million in the U.S. I think we'll take a jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for fighting your parking ticket. After San Francisco officials realized that cameras designed to spot illegally parked cars were not adjusted for daylight savings time, more than 500 drivers received erroneous tickets. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the Czech Republic. After the bankrupt North Korean government offered to pay a portion of the $10 million debt it has to the to that Central European country with 400 tons of ginseng. Czech officials asked for zinc ore instead. You know, a country that has to trade ginseng, and when you look at the satellite photos that are taken at night over it, you see nothing lit up, is probably not a really major threat to world peace. What do you think? And it was an ugly week for driving while rich. After a man driving a Mercedes was caught by Swiss police driving at 180 miles an hour, 105 miles an hour over the speed limit. Turns out that because the Swiss determined fines by the speed along with the driver's personal worth, he faces a world record fine of $1 million. 
And lastly, it would be both bad and ugly for trusting the government after Congress passed and President Obama signed the blank act of blank. Apparently, this nameless legislation provides $26 billion in emergency aid to states, but in its haste to pass the measure, the Senate failed to fill in the title. And I'd say just fill in your own joke here. We've gotten away from our Jackass of the Week uh, feature that we used to do on this show, but I think it's time to revive it at least this week. This one's going to have to go to California Assemblyman Anthony Portentino, who's apparently sponsoring a bill that would make crashing celebrity-filled events a crime punishable by up to six months in jail. The bill is reportedly a response to intruders bluffing their way into A-list events such as the Oscars and the Golden Globes. Said Assemblyman Portentino, At some award shows, folks were there without a ticket, they were asked to leave, and they didn't. Okay, my question is, where do you draw the line between a celebrity event and a non-celebrity event? Now, I admit, there have been people that have crashed my parties that I would like to see put in the slammer for six months. But the better side of me knows that would be wrong. We're going to have to go uh, to the best party crasher I've ever met, Mr. Don Rose, down in Los Angeles, and see what he's got to say about uh, this prospective legislation. As i got to say, with me in tow, that guy's crashed some remarkable events. And how about this item from a few weeks ago? Apparently, Fox News got a front-row seat at the White House briefing room after the uh, cashiering of Helen Thomas. Fox got awarded her seat, I guess, by unanimous vote of the White House Correspondents Association. Liberal groups had petitioned the group to award the vacant seat to NPR, calling Fox a right-wing propaganda outlet. Well, it's certainly that. Now it's got a front-row seat at the White House. And we have some follow-up on our talk two weeks ago with Mary Roach. Mary was on Forum on KQED with Michael Krasny on Tuesday. And last week appeared on Planetary Radio. And I can note with some happiness that uh, I sent an email off to Matt Kaplan saying we just had Mary on. And he said he thought that'd be great to have her on his show. And sent her the publicist's name and voila. I love being able to render some assistance to the publicity for such a quality guest. But uh, Mary talked at great length about the Soviet space program, and the news we have now is that Russia is building an $800 million space launch site on its own territory. Prime Minister Vladimir Putin announced this week that uh, Russia's current launch facility, Baikonur, which is in the former Soviet Republic of Kazakhstan, will be relocated. Russia had been leasing Baikonur at a cost of $115 million a year since the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. The new site, Vostochny, will be located near Ugelgorsk in the Russian Far East. And no, I don't know where that is. When I was in Russia two years ago, I noted that the Lonely Planet guidebook said that if you do go to the Soviet Far East, people will be astonished to see you because, because no tourists go there. And yes, being the possibly uh, coldest spot in the Northern Hemisphere, there's a reason for that. Prime Minister Putin said, I hope that Vostochny will become the first Russian national cosmodrome of civilian use, that it will guarantee us full independence in our space activities. You know, a question occurs to me right away. How are you going to launch in the winter if it's 60 below? But you know what? Not my problem. 
<laughs> Unless, of course, an errant rocket lands in Northern California. We scoffed a few weeks back at the news from BP and the federal government that uh, three-quarters of the oil from the spill in the Gulf of Mexico is just gone. An Alabama fisherman working on the cleanup of the massive oil spill has accused BP of hushing up the discovery of large oil slicks and tar balls in the Gulf and on adjoining beaches. Fishing Captain Mark Williams says he encountered oil plumes and three-inch-wide tar balls off the Florida coast two weeks after BP and the government claimed that 75% of the oil had disappeared. He says a contractor hired by BP ordered him not to record his findings in his logbook, according to a report in thedailybeast.com. BP has denied ordering workers to suppress reports of finding oil. And yes, there's evidence that there are giant plumes of oil that are underneath the surface, several hundred feet down, going for miles and miles and miles. And we'll continue to monitor that. In other bad news from tropical waters, we have the fact that uh, the lionfish, a tropical native of the Indian and Pacific Oceans, has colonized large swaths of the eastern seaboard, the Caribbean, and recently the Gulf of Mexico. All this came about because of the fact that uh, tropical fish stores sold lionfish to pet owners who then turned them loose. Kind of like the same morons that let all their uh, (laughs) Burmese pythons loose in the Florida Everglades. I'm beginning to have some doubts about the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration because their response to this crisis has been to suggest that we try and eat the lionfish out of existence. In fact, the hope is that by sponsoring fishing tournaments and encouraging anglers to go after these slow-swimming species and marketing it to restaurants and dinners, the region may stave off an already severe crisis that could lay waste to the delicate web of undersea life and is left unchecked. Saying all this, I'm reporting on the article by David McFadden and Mark Stevenson in the AP. It does turn out that lionfish only has venom in its spines, and once those are sliced away or burned off with a torch, the meaty fillets are ready for the frying pan. Well, this is at least one fish that if you order it for dinner, you know it's not going to cause ecological harm. And by the way, a little first aid tip, if you, if you have one or someone you know has one and you stick your hand in the aquarium and get stung, the remedy is to put your hand in the hottest water you can stand. That apparently deactivates the toxin. My recommendation, however, is that you not keep poisonous fishes in your home aquarium. That opinion, by the way, like all the ones heard in this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California, who we are fairly confident do not keep poisonous fish in their homes. We talked a while back on this program about how that... Uh, how the ocean life upon which we depend, uh, phytoplankton and such, uh, could really suffer if the world gets a little bit warmer and we see less mixing in the Earth's oceans. So it's curious to see this item from New Scientist magazine we've been sitting on since April 24th. Noted the magazine, just off the coast of the world's driest desert, the lifeless Atacama in northern Chile, lies one of the largest and densest mass- masses of life anywhere on Earth. The vast tangled mat of white quote, hair, unquote, the size of Greece, was recently mapped as part of the first comprehensive census of marine life. The ghostly submarine prairie is made up of wispy strings of giant bacteria, according to Victor Gallardo, a marine biologist at Chile's University of Concepcion. The bug thrives in water almost devoid of oxygen by extracting energy from hydrogen sulfide in sediments on the seabed. It also feeds on nutrients dispersed by fish in the cold waters of the Humboldt Current, which lies above it. 
Curious stuff. Gallardo says the wispy bacteria resemble fossilized bacterial mats dating back 2.5 billion years. In total, he and his colleagues estimate the mat contains hundreds of millions of tons of bacteria and that the whole system regenerates every 10 weeks. Individual bacteria can reach 7 centimeters long. For those of you metrically challenged, that's about 3 inches. This decade-long census, whose aim is to catalog all ocean life, is rapidly changing our ideas about how many species there are on Earth and where they are to be found. The Amazon rainforest has long been thought to contain the greatest biodiversity on the planet. In fact, the winner is more likely to be the Coral Triangle, which is a region of coral reefs off Southeast Asia, according to Anne Buckland of the University of Connecticut. It's noted that bacteria and other microbes may make up as much as 90% of the ocean's biomass, and there could be a billion species on Earth, which is more than 10 times as many as previously suspected. And speaking of sea life, a study published in Nature News notes that the researchers have compared the genetic blueprint of a sponge from the Great Barrier Reef, Amphibodon queenslandica, to those of humans, fruit flies, roundworms, and other animals. They were surprised at the similarities. Sponges, it turns out, have roughly the same number of genes as other animals and share about 70% of them in common, although they lack muscles and nerves. For instance, sponges carry analogs of genes that in more complex animals code for those structures, which shows how in biological evolution things kind of get retargeted. This is leading scientists to suspect that the organism from which all multicellular life evolved 650 million years ago and probably was a sponge. Something to think about next time you're in the bathtub. All right, we've not yet sounded off on all this brouhaha and nonsense about this uh, supposed controversial mosque at Ground Zero, so I think we'll let Will Durst do his thing. Hey guys, Will Durst here with one very good reason why a mosque should be allowed to be built two blocks away from Ground Zero in New York. It's called the First Amendment. You've heard of it. Freedom of religion. There's also one very good reason why a mosque shouldn't be built two blocks away from Ground Zero. It's called grace. A sense of common human decency. Not rubbing an entire country's nose in your waist. Exactly what religions are supposed to be about. Not political parties, though. Accusations are flying that Democrats are out of touch with average Americans for upholding the U.S. Constitution and a developer's right to build the mosque. Better Obama vow revenge on evildoers like George Bush and invade a country that had nothing to do with 9-11. I know, I know, it's not fair that people who believe we infidels are better off dead than worshiping a false god and they get to come over here to preach their intolerance right next to where extremists killed 3,000 innocents. And it's easy to whine like little pigs, wee, 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 all the way home. But see, that that's the deal. Democracy is not a Chinese menu. You, you don't get to choose a freedom from column A and another from column B. It's a buffet. Everything available to all. And free speech is the sneeze guard. Besides, if two blocks is too close, how far away is enough? I'm guessing four and a half blocks, because there already is a mosque four blocks away from Ground Zero. And oh yeah, I figured out why we aren't allowed to show representations of the Prophet Muhammad. He was a very ugly man. I know, I shouldn't have said that. And wouldn't have if I had any grace or simple common human decency. But alas, I don't. Of course, I'm not an organized religion. 
thank God. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. By the way, it's not really a mosque. It's a cultural center that will have a mosque as part of it, kind of like you might have a YMCA with a chapel as part of it. For further reference, we would send you to the forum program by Michael Krasny because he had an excellent discussion on this topic uh, earlier this week. Bert Wilson's a pretty smart guy, and he's got some interesting things to say. Let's take a short break and come back and speak with him. You're listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. This peripheral canal nonsense is one of our uh, pet peeves on this show, and we're looking forward to kicking this one around. <laughs> 